2: that the testimony you're about to give before this committee will be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God.
3: It's early 2017, and former Alabama Senator Jeff Sessions, the first sitting senator to endorse Trump way back in February of 2016, is about to land his dream job. It doesn't take too long for that dream to lurch into a nightmare.
2: How do you plan to address
1: those
4: concerns?
1: I do believe that that could place my objectivity in question. I've given that thought. I believe the proper thing for me to do would be to recuse myself from any questions involving those kind of investigations. Jeff
4: Sessions was a disaster as attorney general. Should have never been attorney general. He's not qualified. He's not mentally qualified to be attorney general. He was the biggest problem. Sessions gets the job. Right after he gets the job, he recuses himself. Sessions should have never recused himself. And if he would, if he was going to recuse himself, he should have told me before he took the job and I would have picked somebody else. Mm-hmm. Which, frankly, I think is very unfair to the president.
3: Say what you will about Sessions as an ideologue or a political tactician. He opted to follow the law rather than Donald Trump. put a concept. He recused himself from overseeing the Russia investigation. So Trump came to despise Sessions. He saw his recusal as supremely disloyal. Sessions could no longer be counted on to take sniper fire for the president. Now Trump was exposed. He was in the sights of what he never failed to call the witch hunt, Robert Mueller's investigation into his campaign's extensive Russia ties. That investigation led to the prosecution of several of Trump's friends and associates and culminated in a highly damaging report about him. As the Mueller report itself recounts, when Sessions told the president that a special counsel had been appointed, the president slumped back in his chair and said,
4: Oh my God, this is terrible. This is the end of my presidency. I'm f***ed. How could you let this happen, Jeff? You were supposed to protect me. Everyone tells me if you get one of these independent councils, it ruins your presidency. It takes years and years, and I won't be able to do anything. This is the worst thing that ever happened to me.
5: U.S. Attorney General Jeff Sessions had a challenging week. President Trump criticizing Sessions for his decisions to recuse himself from the Russia investigation.
3: And as soon as the 2018 midterm elections were over, Trump axed Sessions as attorney general.
0: Attorney General Jeff Sessions has now resigned at the request of the president. It takes effect immediately. President Trump wasting no time beginning to reorganize his cabinet after yesterday's midterm election.
3: Trump's stubborn belief that Sessions as AG was supposed to protect him from Mueller's prying eyes and turn attack dog on his political enemies is a kind of portrait in miniature of Trump's contemptuous attitude toward all of the nation's law enforcement apparatus. It's also perhaps the most dangerously transgressive aspect of his entire presidency. After firing Sessions, Trump tried again to install an AG who'd do his dirty work.
0: President Trump on the White House South Lawn as he gets ready to board Marine One with a couple of big personnel announcements. He's nominated a longtime Washington attorney and former Attorney General William Barr to be his next attorney general uh, in a move that will have to be confirmed by the Senate. Because there
4: may be some things that the administration wants you to do that you cannot do consistent with the rule of law, correct? That's right, Senator. I I feel that I'm in a position to be independent.
3: Maybe, maybe Barr would be independent. But Trump was suspiciously over the moon about his new Attorney General. He seemed to know something observers and Democrats in the Senate did not. Did Trump and Barr have some sort of deal? That would only become clear with time. But judging from Trump's new exuberance, he seemed at last to have his guy, a legal body man who would keep investigations at bay.
4: Today that I am nominating, as Matt said, William Barr to take the helm as our new attorney general is an outstanding man.
6: President Trump is testing the independence of the Justice Department, thanking his own attorney general for taking charge of the case of his longtime friend Roger Stone in an attempt to keep him out of jail. Uh, attorney General Barr there uh, with his testimony, yeah. Fox has learned that attorney Barr is not actually going to go to the House Judiciary Committee tomorrow. How come?
4: Well, I guess they want to treat him differently than they have anybody else. But he did a fantastic job today, I'm told. I got to see some of it. He did a fantastic job. Bill Barr can go down as the greatest attorney general in the history of our country, or he can go down as just another guy. It depends.
3: But even Barr finally had limits. Do you still have confidence in Bill Barr?
4: Ask me that in a number of weeks from now.
3: Eventually, Trump soured on him, too, as he soured on so many others. In the end, it turned out no one could or would advance Trump's ravenous will to personal power when it went beyond the bounds of the law and American democracy. Notably, Barr would not go to bat for Trump's claims of election fraud, the so-called big lie. And Trump would never be satisfied with an attorney general who refused to put the federal government in service of all of his lies. He wanted someone who answered not to the law, not to American ideals, not to the people, not even to the rightmost wing of the Republican Party. He wanted a factotum who answered only to him. Attorney
6: General William Barr is stepping down. President Trump announced the move after days of attacking Barr for his refusal to back false claims of election fraud. This is
3: After Trump, Episode 5, Independent Justice.
4: No president of the United States, Republican or Democrat, has ever, ever crossed that line. Um, the president continues to tweet and act. He's a showboat. He's a grandstander. The FBI. I think they're unprecedented uh, in their inappropriateness. You know, a president should not be commenting on any uh, particular criminal investigation. This is going to be a fraud like you've never seen. Shocking statements on the rule of law in the United States of
2: America acknowledging criminal election.
4: Stand back and stand by. Then I have an article, too, where I have the right to do whatever I want as president.
2: A source tells CNN that President Trump is discussing preemptive pardons for people close to him.
4: Because you'll never take back our country with weakness. You have to show strength and you have to be strong. When somebody's the President of the United States, the authority is total, and that's the way it's got to be. There is no more important place for us to do this work than the Department of Justice has been so politicized. There's no more important people to carry out this work than the people I'm announcing today. More than anything, we need to restore the honor, the integrity, the independence of the Department of Justice in this nation that's been so badly damaged.
3: It's a cliche now that the Justice Department should be independent of the president. Everyone says it constantly. A U.S. attorney is not supposed to have any contacts with the White House except through the the Justice Department.
4: And the FBI is and always will be independent. I believe to my core that there's only one right way to do this job, and that is with strict independence.
3: That that will be up to the Department of Justice to determine. There's just one problem. As a legal and constitutional matter, this independent Justice Department is a lot of um, nonsense.
2: So as a technical constitutional matter, the Justice Department is not independent of the president.
3: That's the voice of Jack Goldsmith, one of the authors of After Trump, Reconstructing the Presidency. Jack is a professor at the Harvard Law School. He's a scholar of, among other things, executive power.
2: The president is vested with the executive power. The president is charged with the duty to take care to faithfully execute the law. The Supreme Court has recognized that the president has supervisory authority over law enforcement, and the president can fire the attorney general at will for any reason.
3: Let's unpack that a bit. The U.S. Constitution, Jack is saying, obliges the president to enforce all constitutionally valid acts of Congress, no matter what he thinks of them. This is a presidential duty. The Attorney General, who leads the Justice Department, may be designated by Congress to carry out the law enforcement parts of the President's function, but the power is the President's, not the Attorney General's. The Sessions example is a case in point. Trump had no good reason to fire Jeff Sessions. He fired him because he hated him for accusing himself from the Russia investigation. This, of course, is something Sessions was legally bound to do, as he was a witness to that very investigation and potentially a subject of it. Good grief. But none of that mattered. Sessions made Trump angry. He served at Trump's pleasure. So Trump was entitled to fire him.
2: So, in a from a constitutional perspective, the Justice Department is not independent of the President.
3: So where does this popular myth that the Justice Department is independent of the President? come from.
2: Since the 1970s especially, the Justice Department has had a large measure of practical independence, despite the constitutional point, from the president. And this has happened through a whole series of post-Watergate reforms. I refer, of course, to the investigations of the so-called Watergate affair. I believe the time has come to bring that investigation and the other investigations of this matter to an end. One year of Watergate is enough.
5: Out of our farewell last night, President Nixon acknowledged that because of the Watergate affair, he no longer has a strong enough base in Congress to continue with any effectiveness.
3: Now these reforms didn't say the president couldn't fire an attorney general because he hates the guy, or his neat attire, his hair, or even his accent. That would be unconstitutional. On firing decisions, the president can do what he pleases. That's what it means that the attorney general serves at the president's pleasure. So why don't most presidents even attempt this audacious move? It's a matter of norms again. It's just abnormal for the president to reveal how exposed he feels without a legal lineman running interference for him.
2: There's a a norm that the president and the White House does not Comment on ongoing investigations. There's a very uneasy, and this is much more subtle than is portrayed in the press a very uneasy relationship between the president and the attorney general when it comes to law enforcement decisions that have big policy importance for the president. The idea that a president never weighs in his views, even indirectly, with the attorney general on a law enforcement matter, it just defies reality. That's not what happens, and that's not what the context policy says. But the norm has the most bite, and it has, and it's supposed to have its biggest effect when the president himself or someone close to the president or someone in the White House or an executive branch official is under investigation. And in that context, the White House is supposed to stay completely hands-off, and the president is not supposed to comment. That's what's happened almost exclusively since the 1970s, and that process broke down under Trump.
4: You look at the corruption at the top of the FBI, it's a disgrace. And our Justice Department, which I try and stay away from, but at some point, I won't. You look at Flynn, it's a shame. But the FBI didn't think he was lying. Do you believe that the FBI acted improperly in how they handled his Well, the FBI said Michael Flynn, a general and a great person, uh, they said he didn't lie. And uh, Mueller said, well, maybe he did. I, I think the whole Manafort trial is very sad. When you look at what's going on there, I think it's a very sad day for our country.
0: Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
3: But how different is this from a normal administration facing a tough investigation?
2: So I worked in the George W. Bush administration. And as you know, there was an investigation by a special counsel appointed by James Comey, who is the the deputy attorney general of Patrick Fitzgerald to investigate the Plame uh, scandal and who about the identity that was revealed about a CIA agent and it focused on the White House and the executive branch.
6: For nearly 20 years, Valerie Plame worked under cover of darkness, serving her country as a covert CIA agent. But in 2003, that cover was blown by members of the Bush administration. In retaliation for her husband, former Ambassador Joe Wilson's editorial that questioned the evidence of weapons of mass destruction used to justify the Iraq
2: War. And it was remarkable in that context how much, and, and the White House hated this. They hated this investigation. They didn't like it at all. They thought it was inappropriate. And it was remarkable in my experience, and I was on the inside about the extent to which, at least in my experience, and as best as I can tell in the public, how much the White House refrained from communicating with the Justice Department about it in private or in public. And that is in the essence of the norm. And I would say that is the essence of what's been followed uh, for 50 years. Now, there have been occasional lapses and exceptions, a prominent one that we mentioned in the book was when President Obama, when Hillary, during the Hillary Clinton email investigation, he, I think once and maybe twice said something to the effect of, when asked on television, I'm sure she didn't mean to jeopardize national security or that she didn't mean to do anything wrong.
1: I don't think it posed a national security problem. I think that it it was a mistake that she's acknowledged. I do think that uh, the way it's been ginned up um, is in part because of politics. And that was a
2: violation of the norm. James Comey, in his memoir, his first book, commented that he thought that adversely affected the legitimacy of the investigation. And It's not like the norm has operated perfectly. Very frankly, few norms do. But everybody understood that that was a violation and the, vi- and, and the worry about the violation generally operated very robustly until the Trump administration.
3: OK, I know what you're thinking. Was the Trump administration really that different from the administrations that came before it? Maybe Jack is being romantic just a little bit about the way the norm operated in the past. Katie Benner began covering the Justice Department for the New York Times during the Trump administration. This is how she says she knew that something was really different here.
5: Other than walking into BLT and seeing the entire Washington defense bar drinking heavily and saying things like, I can't believe this is happening, uh, clues other than that. You know, so I think that it was it was a little bit like being the narrator, the the uninformed neighbor, narrator, like the Nick Carraway in Gatsby coming in and just saying, I need to get the lay of the land here. I think we all know a little bit something about Watergate. If we were good students, we kind of have an understanding that... Richard Nixon worked with John Mitchell to use the Justice Department in ways that were not right for his reelection campaign. And that's about as far as most people will probably remember from those high school history lessons.
3: Katie says you could see how this politicized atmosphere permeated all aspects of the department.
5: It was because there was something happening in the background that just made it really difficult for people to do their jobs. And that thing was always the White House, whether it was a straightforward announcement, whether it was something that shouldn't have been politicized, but really was, for example, like Jeff Sessions recusing himself and Trump then going on a multi-year campaign to humiliate and browbeat Jeff Sessions, making it almost impossible for him to do his job as the attorney general. That was the clearest sign that nothing was going as it should and nothing was going to go as it should. Feeling like, you know, as reporters, we were completely dependent on the White House reporting team for almost all sort of like scrying of what was going to happen, how Trump would respond, because that would impact our agencies, whether it was DOJ, CIA, Department of Homeland Security, Department of Education, we were all in the same boat.
3: This was not the only time Trump took a wrecking ball to the delicate relationship between the White House and the Justice Department. Trump didn't just comment on investigations. Oh, no, he overtly tried to sick the Justice Department on his political rivals. What the hey, this is not the way a liberal democracy is run.
2: There are examples of the Justice Department investigating individuals who could be deemed to be enemies or adversaries of the president. But – so that's happened before because, frankly, sometimes enemies or adversaries of the president commit criminal violations or do things wrong that require investigation or allies or you know, at least political adversaries. What I don't think there was ever an example of that I can recall before Trump – and if there were there an example – if there was an example, there were very few such examples – is the president of the United States incessantly, repeatedly calling for his Justice Department – to bring investigations and prosecutions against his political enemies. Trump
3: didn't do this once. He did it all the freaking time. President Trump telling
6: then-White House counsel Don McGahn that he wanted the Justice Department to prosecute Hillary Clinton and former FBI Director James Comey.
2: He incessantly called for the investigation of his enemies. He called for the investigation and prosecution of former FBI Director James Comey Deputy Director McCabe, other officials in the FBI, he called for an investigation and I believe prosecution of Hillary Clinton. He thought the former president should be investigated. He wanted his Justice Department, which he viewed basically as a tool of his political will. That's what he viewed the Justice Department as an institution that was supposed to serve his political aims. And he urged it over and over again to investigate his enemies, which was and he did so in public and it's one of the remarkable things about trump and it gives one at least a little bit of pause about what he thought he was doing he didn't hide his corruption of the process
3: here's trump in a 2017 interview as jack said it's not exactly hiding his efforts to corrupt the process
4: the saddest thing is that because of the president of the united states i am not supposed to be involved with the justice department i'm not supposed to be involved with Uh, the FBI. I'm not supposed to be doing the kind of things that I would love to be doing,
2: and I'm very frustrated by it. He was indifferent to these norms. He could have done all of this pressure in private. He did it in public, perhaps because he thought it would be maybe not as effective in actually achieving the result, but perhaps even more effective in disrupting the ordinary processes of government. Perhaps it was just part of his theater. Perhaps he got political benefit out of it. But he was very overt in trying to use the Justice Department to go after his political
3: enemies. Pressuring the Justice Department for substantive results in investigations has real consequences. And they go beyond the specific cases that may generate presidential pressure. Here's Katie Benner again.
5: The really bad stuff happened after the shutdowns last spring due to the pandemic, because then there was no visibility. We were not even going into the buildings. You know, reporters were not even able to work the beat in that way. And so we saw information start to be completely obscured. We saw officials, not just at the Justice Department, not just Attorney General Barr, but other officials have to speak to the president almost exclusively through Fox News. And we saw a parroting of the president's rhetoric, especially around domestic terrorism, that I thought was really strange. You had Chris Ray testifying that violent white supremacists and far-right extremists were this enormous threat to the homeland. That's not what you saw in the rhetoric then coming from the department, even if it's what the cases were showing. Even if the cases were showing that the folks being arrested were members of far-right groups or or members of loosely affiliated groups like Boogaloo. Even if we saw Wolverine Watchmen, a very dangerous group, plotting to kidnap Gretchen Whitmer, right, a Democratic governor, the rhetoric was all around antifa and the left which was president trump's obsession and so you saw the mirroring of rhetoric which really does have a power happening unfettered with almost no way to push back and that was really distressing and then of course we saw kind of culminate in january 6 which is exactly what nobody wanted you know after several months of rhetoric that failed to capture the true seriousness of the threat on the right, all because we were dealing with a president that needed complete fealty from all of his subordinates.
3: There's a flip side to this coin. Just as a president's not supposed to use the Justice Department to persecute his enemies, he's also not supposed to use it to protect his friends and flunkies
2: just as extraordinary is the extent to which he called over and over again for the justice department to stop pursuing criminal investigation of his friends and his associates and this happened broadly in his attack on the entire Mueller investigation of the 2016 Trump campaign and its connections with Russia which blended into an investigation of the president himself starting in 2017 an obstruction of justice and at least for a bit a counterintelligence investigation. And Trump was incessant in trying in calling this illegitimate and saying that this was a fraud or and in trying to get it to stop. And he took steps not only to verbally complain about it, which broke the norm, but also to try, as volume two of the Mueller report shows, to basically stop the investigation altogether.
3: All of this comes together for Trump when the investigation is about himself
2: perhaps the most extraordinary is the president talking about the investigation of himself. I mean, if there, this is a tricky situation because the president again, controls law enforcement, but the whole purpose of the special counsel regulations under which Mueller operated were to find a way for the justice department in a relatively detached way, a rigorous way with proper process to investigate credible allegations against the president and senior officials. This was a process that was underway, and Trump attacked it with regard to the investigation of himself over and over and over, also violating the norm.
3: Ah, the special counsel regulations. Remember those from the last episode? They're the rules that allow the attorney general to name a special investigator who has some additional degree of independence.
2: The whole point of having a special counsel process, the whole point of having independence at least functional independence of the Justice Department when it comes to investigations that may help or hurt the president, is the appearance and reality of even-handed justice. And one of Trump's main aims in office, as we know, and it was to basically destroy or degrade these institutions. And that, of course, that, that destroys confidence in the justice system for at least half the country. And that's at a time when it's very, very hard to have confidence in any institution or not even talking about the terrible impact on the individuals in the government who he was attacking almost always without justification, a huge cost to them and to the people they work with. The main cost is simply a degradation of the legitimacy of the justice system. And I think that's what he set out to do. And to some extent, he succeeded. President-elect Biden has selected his choice for attorney general. The president-elect intends
6: to nominate Judge Merrick Garland to lead the Department of Justice.
1: Entering the Department of Justice will be a kind of homecoming for me. My very first job after serving as a judicial law clerk was to work as a special assistant to then Attorney General Ben Civiletti.
3: That's the voice of Merrick Garland. Biden's attorney general speaking on January 7th, 2021, the day president-elect named him to the job, and the day after the insurrection on Capitol Hill.
1: The first attorney's general appointed after Watergate had enunciated the norms that would ensure the department's adherence to the rule of law. Those policies included guaranteeing the independence of the department from partisan influence in law enforcement investigations. Regulating communications with the White House, establishing guidelines for FBI investigations, ensuring respect for the professionalism of DOJ's lawyers and agents.
3: Notice what Garland talked about there, standing in front of the soon-to-be president and vice president of the United States. Garland didn't talk about Russian interference in the election or about antitrust policy, or about any of the many Justice Department policies that divide Americans. He declared instead that his singular mission as Attorney General would be the restoration of the very norms Jack and Bob are talking about. But how do you do that? It's actually hard. The easy part is just behaving differently, modeling good behavior like we're supposed to do for our kids. The president can say, oh, maybe not comment on pending matters and not contact the Justice Department. Here's Katie Benner of the New York Times on how different things are with Trump out of office.
5: So it is different. We're One, we've seen the president come out and say, I want the Justice Department to do what the Justice Department is going to do. I don't think any president, I mean, I think I think most presidents have sincerely wanted that whether presidents have been able to stay true to their word. I think it's always been a mixed bag. I don't think anybody doesn't have an interest in what the Justice Department's doing. And I think we've seen different presidents try to cross that line, accidentally cross that line always. What was different about Trump is that he uniquely publicly flouted the convention of not crossing that line again and again and again and seemed to take some pride in it.
3: But the harder part is thoroughgoing reform.
2: It doesn't have an easy fix, an easy, simple fix, and it doesn't have an obvious statutory fix. It's not obvious that Congress has a lot to say about this problem. Article 2 of the Constitution vests the executive power in the president alone and gives the president the duty to take care to faithfully execute the law. Those two provisions have been interpreted by courts and through practice to give the president extraordinary and in some respects exclusive authority over law enforcement and the supervision of law enforcement, and over the firing of subordinate officials, including in the Justice Department. What that means is is that Congress cannot easily come in and impose a fix to ensure separation between the White House and the Justice Department.
3: In other words, there's just no law you can pass here. It's not like requiring disclosure of presidential tax returns, as Jack and Bob proposed in episode one. You can't mandate that a president or anyone else behave with dignity and decency.
2: So the first thing to understand is that it's very hard to stop the president from breaking the norms. Small things that in the aggregate can add up to a lot of things within the normative framework of the Justice Department and Justice Department White House relations. And it's important in making these recommendations because most of them go to norms and practices, customary practices, mostly within the department. The first thing is to make clear to all employees in the Justice Department and in the White House that the obstruction of justice statutes fully apply to their work. There's a question about whether the obstruction of justice statute applies to the president, but there's no question that the obstruction of justice statute applies to all of the president's subordinates, including the White House counsel and the attorney general. It is clear that the obstruction of justice laws do in fact apply to subordinate executive branch officials, but it's not well known within the department and it's not necessarily well known within the White House. We propose to make that a part of explicit department policy and regulations to make clear so that people know when they're being asked to do something by the president or by the attorney general that might obstruct a justice, that they they may face criminal liability. That we think actually had a large impact on why, for example, Trump's subordinates didn't in fact carry out his wishes to fire special counsel Mueller.
3: And part of the solution falls to people like Merrick Garland himself. How do you incentivize the president to put principled people, people with integrity, in the Justice Department?
2: There's no substitute for having people of integrity serve in senior roles in the Justice Department and the White House. All of the legal and policy and normative reform in the world won't ensure good outcomes if you have systematically terrible people in these jobs. And on the other hand, if you have people of integrity in these jobs, you don't need these norms and rules and laws as much. So there's no substitute for getting the right people in there. There's no substitute for electing a president with integrity. Everything we write about in this book is second best solutions dealing in a world in which you don't have people of great integrity in some of these positions. We have suggestions for trying to ensure better appointees in the justice department to try to take some element of politics out of justice department appointments. For example, we think the president should be barred from appointing the senior justice department officials, people who within two years of appointment held senior campaign offices. We also think that Congress should reinstate its original qualification for who can be attorney general. The original qualifications for the attorney general going back to the 1790s is that the attorney general be a meet person, i.e. someone appropriate for the position, who is learned in the law. We would actually reinstate that criterion, and we would also add that the person should be a person of integrity. Now, this might seem like a very thin requirement because… It's only it's a guidepost for the president and the pre- no president is ever going to nominate someone who doesn't in some sense meet those criteria. But we actually think that focusing on the integrity and the competence of the attorney general in a written way would make it a focal point in confirmation hearings and therefore would make it a, a more of serious consideration in the considering whom to nominate for the attorney general.
3: How do you solve a problem like the DOJ? Working with the paradoxes of the Justice Department is damned hard. As Jack and Bob spell out, the president is the Justice Department, but the Justice Department needs to operate without the president's fingers all over the scale. As with so many American institutions, the Justice Department has at its core our trust. We elect people we expect will have integrity and will live up to their oath to faithfully execute the office. And we expect a president to appoint an attorney general with the same integrity, one who can resist political pressure, be true to her or his own oath, and put justice above all. These seem like pretty reasonable expectations. But as Jack and Bob make clear, they're difficult to enforce. Ideally, a few decent attorneys general can, with their professionalism and constitutional commitments, jog over time the memory of the American people and remind us that integrity and leadership matters. After Trump is based on the book After Trump, written by Jack Goldsmith and Bob Bauer from Lawfare Press. This podcast only scratches the surface of these topics. To learn more, to get in the weeds, pick up After Trump by going to aftertrumppod.com book. This episode was written by me, by Benjamin Wittis, and by Zachary Frank. This podcast is a production of Lawfare and Goat Rodeo. The series is hosted and executive produced by me, Virginia Heffernan. From the Goat Rodeo team, scripting and audio production from Zachary Frank, editing by Ian Enright. From the Lawfare team, production assistance from Rohini Korup and Bryce Clem. Benjamin Wittes is editor-in-chief. Subscribe to this series for more episodes of After Trump, and be sure to help our work by leaving us a rating and review. I'm Virginia Heffernan. Thanks for listening.
5: Summer's just around the corner, so give your body the care it deserves with Osea's best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Created by infusing Andaria seaweed in barrels of botanical oils, it leaves skin silky, soft, and glowing. Plus, it's clinically proven to improve elasticity and deeply moisturize without feeling greasy. It's safe, clean, vegan skincare. Get 10% off your first order at oseamalibu.com with code GLOW, plus free shipping on orders over $60.
2: You're listening to Go Rodeo. Keep an ear out for us.